Hi, this is Doug Bear with Splunk. I've got to tell you, the Big Data Beard Podcast, with a name like that, how can you not listen? You are now listening to the Big Data Beard. This is our podcast where we explore the trends, technology, and talented people making big data a big deal. One year, a one-year review. I yeah. like it. I like it a lot. Yeah, well, it's funny because like one year ago, it was uh, it was everything. Was just, oh, let's still talk about big data and AI and machine learning was just barely yeah, starting to enter was, the... Um, we can come on to it in a minute, but we did some really interesting stuff back in 2015. And uh, and I, I did a presentation which was basically titled like it was the 2020 sort of um, research group uh-huh. in Arrow, and we basically were looking five years out. And I did a presentation on big data, and I said, you know, I think the reality is that by 2020 we might start to see machine learning and things come in because back then it really was a preserve of universities oh, yeah. and governments and all that sort of stuff. And then literally I was completely blown out of the water, which I'm pleased about. Yeah, for sure. Right? I think I'm one. Of, I'm someone who's very happy to say I was totally wrong <laughs> um but yeah literally you were looking at this sort of this evolution of machine learning and then into sort of deep learning and now into sort of very specific sort of domain specific ai yeah and we've just seen that just go absolutely hyperscale it's, it's incredible. crazy it's fun to watch so we are finally back at uh conf this year one year later david one year. is uh exactly us. one year david is the uh the global uh business intelligence and data analytics lead for arrow yes and we're excited to have you. you are the first person to ever come I on know, the show I'm, I'm two times. I'm so impressed. I'm well, so happy. We were so impressed last time. We thought, <laughs> hey, we got to do it again. No, no. Fantastic. I'm more than happy to be back on. Excellent. Well, thanks for joining us. So I want to start because we, we talked about that AI has just come on as this trend, right? It's just this crazy thing. But one of the things that we, we see is there's challenges and there's varying states of adoption and maturity in AI. I'm curious, just at a high level, what's your perspective on the current state of AI in the enterprise? So uh, I would probably say there's, there's a couple of different purposes for people looking into AI. The first is exploration, right? Where you've got, you've got a question you need to answer and you think machine learning, AI, deep learning is probably the answer to the equation, right? And you want to create a visualization or you want to create an answer. Great. That, that's one use case. But the other distinct use case is where actually you want to deploy AI to do a task every day, right? And in that situation, um, you deploy it as a, as a model and then you essentially deploy it as an, a, as, as an API to go and do a task. We're seeing um, the first UK use case is actually probably, it's, it's being used, but actually what we're seeing more of in the enterprise is these sort of very specific neural nets and very specific machine learning models to essentially automate processes. So, you know, we, we find a lot of customers um, and there's a, there's a type of technology, the robotic sort of automation, you know, that, that whole field where actually if you plug in the ability to just do repetitive tasks with a simple little bit of AI, you can really streamline a process and you can, you know, move your employees up the value chain to get them doing more valuable things rather than literally being a very expensive copy and paste or a very expensive sort of API. You can start to get them to, you know, you can start to move them into roles where they can do much more intelligent stuff. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's funny because we, we see that too, right? That it's, it absolutely is automation on steroids, right? And I think that's the nearest term kind of thing. But I'm curious though, because on the flip side of it, there are people out there, you know, you can, you know, the most visible reference would be somebody like an Elon Musk, right? Who's a fear monger around yeah. AI. So I'm curious from your perspective, right. with what you know, do you think that the fear of AI, at least today, do you think it's well-founded? No, 
I would personally say that the now you're talking to one of the biggest fans of of Mr. Musk going right. He is an absolute legend in my eyes. But but and, and you know what? It wasn't just him. You know, you, you had Stephen Hawkins. You know, R.I.P. He was also another big proponent of AI is one of the most terrifying things that could ever happen. Mm-hmm. Now, what I find interesting is their sort of vision and and it's you know elon musk has more recently taken quite a fatalistic attitude on ai sort of he's tried but he's failed to sort of warn the world (laughs) but i honestly think that actually the reality of of the so-called singularity or this super intelligence Mm. is it's way off yeah it's way off but then the the so the flip side of that is what's the first thing that a super intelligent ai would do so if you were in a if you were in a if you were in a situation where you felt threatened yeah. and you'd immediate and you'd become you'd woken back up and you felt threatened the first thing you'd do is you'd hide or you'd play dumb so what's the first thing a super intelligence would do it would hide and escape and evade us realizing it was a super intelligence so who's <laughs> who's to say that it doesn't already exist and it's in the on the internet traveling around hiding itself causing mayhem you know replicating itself yeah pretending to be the russians or the chinese you know hacking into stuff so that uh, that's, uh, i'm so, not gonna sleep tonight now thanks <laughs> so yeah, that. you know, that's the reality but that is that is a crazy perspective so but well and one of the things that i, I think that highlights though is is that whatever we build is going to be a mirror image of us i think at some level and that's what yeah. concerns me a bit so one of the things that we're, we're also seeing a, a big a response from government agencies and from uh, from you know civil rights groups like the ACLU, right? They published recently that they did this this test where they were using Amazon's uh, facial recognition uh, solution, and they basically they used the pictures of congressmen, and it misidentified them as wanted criminals, and it was actually had some racial biases. Well, to look, it. so so look, are you concerned about biases? Like how so, concerned should we be? Well, we should be very very concerned because. So it's really interesting. Um, I was listening to another podcast recently, and they were talking about, you know, these biases that come into training data sets. And they were saying, well, the reality is most of these training data sets are made by one person. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, so for example, they're developed in San Francisco, or they're developed in Israel, or somewhere like that, where there is one very distinct type of person. The, The majority of people that they're using to train the data sets are white, male, Caucasians, and that's it. So actually, the ability to then go and, you know, look at other sort of skin colors and other sort of demographics becomes very difficult. And, you know, there's a, a huge problem at the moment with sort of good quality training data sets. And I suppose it sort of it brings us on later to sort of training data set versus optimized algorithm and what's more important. And I've, yeah. I think it's, for me, it's clearly obvious. But, you know, I think a lot of people, it's not, the problem is problem is not the um, the people the people who are writing the algorithm. It's, it's the people who are building the training data sets to actually train the algorithms. They're not, you know. I, I think at the moment we're in, we're in a real infancy of of this sort of technology, and I think we need we need we need we need better quality and better investments in building out much wider, much more sort of capable data sets. But, you know, that's not sexy and cool. Building algorithms is sexy and cool. Building, you know, platforms like the ones we were just looking at are sexy and cool. Not building training data sets. Right. And, but that's really where the investment in training needs to be. And, and yeah. by, by training, I mean actually uh, having people that are capable of doing that, finding what the right data sets are, and then also being able to translate that to 
being able to run into those sexy algorithms. Do you really see that as being the future of where the gaps are right now? Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, I've had, so obviously we work with the channel, with partners, and every single conversation I had at the start of this year about AI was, don't worry about getting deep into the algorithms. Don't worry about getting into, go, right, work in your area and become a data as a service partner. Literally, go and build really highly sort of tagged and highly sort of um, highly contextual training data sets and sell them to the part to the end customers you work with because i guarantee if you work in insurance if you work in construction if you work in public sector there will be demand for really highly um sort of specialized training data sets you can sell them as a service you can you know you can experiment with building synthetic data sets i said that is where you should be spending your time because it's not something that's very well taken care of at the moment yeah I, so so I think I, I'll challenge you a little bit, though, because my Please concern do. is you, in order for an organization to turn to make a business out of selling data, there almost has to be the infrastructure that is that is the basis of that company's revenue stream anyway. Like, it's very hard to pivot. And it's like you can go back to like Adam Smith's economics. It's like it's either from either transfer goods or you use them. And I think that organizations, the ones that are going to leverage AI and machine learning most effectively today are the ones that are going to use the data they have versus like the only companies I see actually selling data effectively are like companies like that are that's how they've made yeah. money for it. Nielsen, and, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Nielsen. Um, like we had on we had on the show we had this organization on that's a Veris analytics company called Power Advocate, yeah. and they their business model as a whole was basically providing access to these curated data sets to help people have an outcome. So I, I agree with so, that. So you'll be pleased to know I'm going to challenge you back. I like it, please, because. If we look at analytics, right? Mm -hmm. If you look at the people you've just described, right, they are essentially the top level of the of the solution vertical, right? Whereas actually, where the real value today in analytics is in the sub vertical of the sub vertical of the sub vertical. And I'll give you an example, right? Okay. So let's take building and construction. Okay. Yeah. There is lots of data providers that provide information on the location that a construction company should pick. Or should use to try and pick right. for their next um, for the next thing they're going to build, right? Right. Great. But where's the data to help the you know safety officers inside of the building company, specifically inside of building a specific house? It doesn't exist, right? And the reality is that that's a big use case for AI and machine learning because if you can essentially help to automate and sort of predict where failures in buildings might occur on a specific type of build of a specific type of property in a specific type of location, sub-vertical of a sub-vertical of a sub-vertical, that's where value can genuinely be gleaned on the field today. And that's what we say, you know, don't look for these sort of big, massive use cases because the reality is that back in the day, you could only do so much with data because you only had so much physical human being resource. AI allows you to do super finite, amazingly cool little things and do them once and then leave them to run for the rest of their lives. I mean, don't get me wrong, they'll yep. do, you know, AI networks will degrade over time, but, you know, that's really, really powerful. So think about the sub-vertical of the sub-vertical of the sub-vertical, not the, oh, well, it's not literally the top level thing. Actually, yeah. there's, there's, there's lots of, everything breaks down into, and the outcome for one person it can be very, very different to the outcome of another. Well, I think where there's value is having that intermediary between the the collection of the data, the people that actually create the data, and then the using of the data. If there's a, you know, we, t we talked about democratizing machine learning and all of that on the algorithm side, but what about democratizing data cleansing and actually providing that middle middleman to 
buy, take the data from whatever source that another company produces and then create those data sets as a business for themselves. Like, yeah, that's the 100%. compromise right there. I think normalization of data, you know, so one of the single biggest limiting factors we've seen to, um, to essentially any sort of large scale AI is human beings are really, really terrible at dimensionality. Right, as soon as you start to go from one data source to another data source, another data source, they've got different time series. They've got they need normalization. They need, you know, and we are really rubbish at looking at one data set that's based on like meters, one data set that's based on time, one data set that's based on I don't know number of people. Uh, our heads just really we, we our heads just explode. Mm -hmm. So how do we normalize it so that essentially when we feed it into a machine learning algorithm, we turn around and go, here's the normalized data set, and there's AI algorithms to do the normalization. But I think that's one of the biggest problems with what you've just described, and actually doing that as a service, becoming a specialist in creating normalized dimensional data sets dimension you know for those of you who are scratching heads but dimension is just the number of different diverse data sources you're trying to use to answer a question and at this point you know we always talk about you know dimensionality is the definition of what big data is all about you know big data is not about and i'm pretty sure i said this a year ago as well but i'll <laughs> say it again big data is not about the number of bits of data you've got because yeah. if all you've got is sales data yeah based on selling a product based on the money you've brought in the only answer you're going to get is about that one thing and about the money. Actually, what might be affecting your, you know, your um, sales might be customer services. It might be, um, you know, your social impact. It might be, you know, how you're perceived in in different forums on the internet, on Twitter, or on Facebook, on whatever. Unless you process those different dimensions of of your business, right. you can't possibly hope to answer and get any level of impact. So the dimensionality thing, though, I think is one where. I agree with you, and I actually think that's why I, I'm personally kind of excited about a trend that I'm starting to see. And when we saw it this week in the announcements made by the team at Splunk around bringing more uh, machine learning capabilities, the Machine Learning Toolkit 4.0 getting announced, yeah, because Splunk already has a common data model that has defined dimensions that they, as a in their indexing pipeline, that's what they do is create that organization structure. And actually, if you look at what happened last week, Microsoft and Adobe and SAP came out and announced we're going to have a common data model to make it simpler for organizations to leverage yeah. our the, the data being created by applications to advanced AI and machine learning. And I think they're, they're admitting by their actions that you're exactly right. <laughs> yeah. And then this is the thing. And I think actually it was, it's a very underestimated skill to take multidimensional data and mm -hmm. turn it into something that you can then utilize in any sort of way, shape or form. Um, but yeah, we'll get there. We'll get, we'll there. get and, there. And the tools will get there. And there are a lot of good tools. I know that Google worked really, uh, have sort of embedded one now into their uh, cloud platform. I forget what it's called now, but it's a really slick um, tool for doing data wrangling and, and normalization. So yeah, we'll get there. We'll get yep. there. So I want to I talk about the role, because you, you deal with a lot of folks who are trying to achieve value with data science and yes. AI. But I'm curious, because I feel like when I look at the market, and I, and I hear from organizations that are trying to achieve success here, I feel like the role of the data scientist is changing. What do you think is the role of the data scientist? If you want to use your five years out term, like go in the next five years, what does the role of the data scientist look like? Ooh, that's a good question. That's a good question. I'm, I'm going to sort of, I'm going to break it down into not necessarily the role of the data scientist, but the role, the, the, the role that data will play in the business. And actually then from there, where do we need 
investment in skills, right? So data scientists in, in our, I mean, first and foremost, let's define a data scientist because I think very much like big data and AI, everyone has their own definition. To me, a data scientist is someone who is super clever, almost like we call them quant, quantum analysis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's called a common term in the financial world. But they're the mathematician, right? They're the person that understands how to go from A to B to C. Now, we needed that when we were writing like Python applications to do this, right? We needed that when we were using MATLAB and, and MLlib and all that sort of stuff, where it was proper complicated and you were tuning hyperparameters in freaking abundances of code and all that sort of stuff. Now, the reality is that today's tool sets give you essentially, uh, well, there's AI to actually do data science. So the data scientists have essentially done themselves out of a job because their job by very by the very nature was a logical mathematics based problem, right? Right. Well, you can essentially imply AI to do data science. Right. So the data scientists have fundamentally done themselves out of a job. Um, and then add to that the fact that in my personal opinion and and in you know a lot of research we've seen from some of the major organizations you get you get a certain percentage increase from spending loads of time and investing a, a lot of money in a, a very, very highly skilled data scientist to tune hyperparameters, tune the sort of hidden layers of a, of a neural network or whatever you want to do. But you get double digit percentage accuracy increases from having a much better understood, much better sort of appropriate data set <laughs> and having it better tagged, yeah. having domain experts develop it not have a data scientist sit there and go, ah, oh, but I could retune the algorithm to this. So to answer your question in a very roundabout way, the value to an organization is going to be in having domain experts develop really, really super highly refined data sets. It comes right back to what I was saying earlier on, yeah. right? Super highly refined data sets. And also finding data set and, and not trying to develop something that is a catch-all, answer-all, fix-all network, developing something that is a as I said, subvertical of a subvertical of a subvertical, and you know we use a, we use a really simple term, right? The riches are in the niches. Okay, the what? The riches are in the niches, okay. niches, niches, riches, yeah. niches. I don't know. Yeah. We, okay. but the idea being that you can find if you can find something that is quite specialist, create a really cool training data set for it, and apply it, and fix a problem, and then fix ten problems, you'll have a much better experience with AI and data science, and you'll actually see real genuine business value than you would have if you tried to fix like a massive problem right. that was really high level. It might be a sexy, yeah. but the value to the business will be exponentially greater. Yeah, and you know, I always think math, math is still important. You still need to have that yeah. background, but de-emphasize that a little bit and actually have more of like a program management background almost where you are interviewing and going to the right people that know what are the right data sets. So do you think um, as organizations change curriculum or you know education kind of place more of a focus on other skill sets like what do you think those other skill sets are the skill sets are so so for me actually one of the biggest skill sets is still going to be scientific but it's not going to be data science it's going to be almost creating um accurate you know (laughs) so when you go and collect data as a scientist right you need to make sure that the data you're collecting is consistent it's sort of statistically sound it's you know it's well um well distributed it's got a good you know common frequency of sampling all those sorts of things are really important in science and that's why we have accurate results in science to the point you made earlier on about are we worried about bias in 
AI. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, we are because at the moment, the 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 data sets that are being developed to train AI are being developed by people who are coders. They're not scientifically able to to go and understand what attributes are important to create training data sets. So I actually see going forward, if we want to rid the world of racist AI and an AI that is, you know, let, let's, let's boil it right down, fundamentally inaccurate and not doing a good enough job of what we've tried to imply it to do, we need to have people who are scientifically trained in collecting data and scientifically trained, not in processing the data, but understanding how to collect a training data set that is that could prove, that essentially could be sort of used in scientific surveys, you know. Yeah. So it's the, the sad thing is 80%, and even I think this holds true still today, 80% of the job of a data science team, not just data scientists, but the team, is actually that curation, collection, and wrangling of data into yeah. useful data sets, like you said. So I think that I like the fact that, yes, we've got some, like as you said, you've got AI that's actually automating the algorithm development. Yeah. I'm excited to see the developments of using AI to more effectively curate data sets yes. for us. Yeah, and so if... I couldn't agree more. And I think that is, I mean, I've seen some solutions. They're pretty amateur at the moment. Mm -hmm. Um, But on a serious note, that will be something that comes along super soon. And when it does, the only thing the AI is not going to be able to do is collect the data for you. That's going to be the only thing left for the human being, which is good, right? Because it means, because the other thing we shouldn't, we shouldn't see this as our AI is going to take over. We should see this as AI is going to become a lot more relevant. You know, I always bring it bring it back to a really simple example like um, virtualization, right? Mm-hmm. Virtualization existed way before VMware, but sure. VMware made it three-click simple, right? And when you make something three-click simple, you democratize access to it. And when you democratize access to it, everyone goes, freaking awesome, let's yeah. go, let's use it. Let's literally spin up our entire infrastructure on this because it's so simple. It takes away all the thinking, you know. Do people want to be sitting there, you know, writing the underlying relationship between, you know, a power virtualized processor and, and the fit no of course they don't know nobody wants that it's not no value one wants to do that it's not value add it's not um it's not revenue generating activities it's complete waste of your time if someone can highly automate it ai is going to go the same way i i look forward to the day so maybe you know 365 days into the future i really hope we come back and we say yep that happened, and now we've got AI network sprawl. You know how we had VM sprawl oh, yeah. in the first days of VMware, where everyone was like, bang, 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 you'd have thousands of VMs, and it was a complete mess? Yeah. I want to see that exact same thing happen <laughs> in AI. Right? I want to see I want to see AI sprawl. We do learn something from the trouble we create every now and then, don't we? <laughs> not so very for your well. third time on, we'll, we'll come back and see if that's that's going to happen or not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Right. So I want to... I Find out what you're doing, what you're what you're working on with Arrow, because Arrow obviously is a for those that don't know, giant company, a lot of yeah, a lot of Fortune, different sort of unique yeah, businesses. Fortune one thirteen, well, as our CEO likes to say, with a Fortune one thirteen. Yeah, um, <laughs> perfect. So yeah, one hundred thirty biggest company in the world. Yeah, we're 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 an interesting organization. So we're doing some really cool stuff at the moment. So um, we've got a couple of projects. So um, we're a big IBM partner, um, and uh, every year IBM have something to call the Watson Build Challenge. Okay which is their global AI hackathon. So we're entered into that, and we've got a really cool project um, around dementia and around sort of trying to further the, um, the understanding and the research into dementia, managing of, of people living with dementia, as in managing their, their own sort of... Because um, it, is, it is a degenerative disease, and it is something that is a slope into eventual death, sadly. Yeah. Um, but we're, we're sort of essentially trying to develop a piece of technology that will help to further the research and fundamentally you know 
preaching preaching what I'm sort of talking about. Yeah. The whole purpose of our project is to create a much better quality, much higher frequency, scientifically accurate training data set okay. for research organizations to essentially use to train AI models to try and pre- predict and, and provide personalized healthcare for, for people living with dementia. Brilliant. So that's that's one of our projects. Um, we're doing a few cool things in retail. Okay. So working with our components business. So we have a huge, basically the sort of about half of our whole business is made up of our um, com- what we call global components, which is our semiconductor design manufacturing um, and sort of discrete component business. Yeah. Uh, we're working with them to do AI at the edge. Okay. So um, we're very, very deep involved with NVIDIA, but not just NVIDIA in the data center, right. but actually NVIDIA at the edge. Okay. So using um, GPUs in... Um, security cameras and GPUs yeah. in sensor packs to essentially do a huge amount of the processing at the edge. So I'll give you a cracking example, right? Yeah. And this is good for two reasons. So first and foremost, we've got a solution with Qualcomm, NVIDIA, and it's basically all about doing image processing at the camera. Okay. So first and foremost, you do that because you know if you're trying to send a video stream back to a server to do processing you've got to have some pretty serious pipe to get anything like hd absolutely and actually more often than not you end up doing a lot lower resolution and at a lot you know quite a sort of the frame rates have to go frame lower yeah precisely yeah. a really sort of staggered frame rate what we can do by putting actually the the, um, the ai model at the edge as you by the way no different to what's on your phone when you use snapchat filter or anything else yeah we can essentially do all of the processing of you at the edge now why would you do this right so retail situation i am you know a shopper i don't i'm a, I'm a man i don't really like it when you know shop assistants come and ask me stupid questions like you having a good day what are you looking for yeah i'm like leave me alone and, and i just want to try some stuff on right <laughs> okay but i'm not really helping them to refine their shop layout i'm not really helping them to refine a lot of things so imagine if you could build a tiny little miniature hidden camera into the mirror in the um on the shop floor when i go and pick that sports jacket up and try it on i'm either going to stand there for a few seconds and smile and go i like that yeah and then take it to the till or i'm going to put it on and go "Uh, i'm not Mm. sure about this yeah and my facial expression is just so telling absolutely so imagine if we could literally in real time collect you are a white male roughly this demographic roughly this age range you tried on this particular piece of clothing and you didn't like it immediately we could feed that information to a essentially a dashboard that sits behind the till that informs the shop assistants that actually we've had 10 people who are this particular demographic this particular age range and they wouldn't like this jacket feed that back to or more importantly we've had 10 people in who all really like this jacket but they didn't actually buy Next time you see someone in, go and talk to them. So you can essentially give them real-time information. The other reason why um, why we really like the solution, so other than obviously we can help to really inform um, the shop shop assistants in real-time and give them infinitely more data points other than just, because you've got to think, right, the only data point that a store gets is what was bought through the till. Yeah, exactly. Right, It doesn't tell the story about why you had 100 people in and 10 people bought stuff. Yeah. This helps to answer that story. But obviously, over in Europe, we have this little thing called GDPR. Never heard of her. Right? <laughs> and essentially, and I'm sure there's loads of people sitting there right now going, 
you're literally gonna film me trying on a jacket figure out whether or not i'm happy or sad yeah good luck yeah hold on if i'm actually destroying the image of your face that piece of personal identifiable data at the camera i'm storing it for milliseconds Mm -hmm. and then i'm completely disregarding it and what i'm sending back is totally anonymized data based on you know, an AI model that's looking at your face to say, are you this I Exactly. I'm sending back Matrix. I'm sending back a Tensor. Yeah. I'm not sending back your picture. Yeah. I'm not telling the, the shop assistant who you are and that you're unhappy. Right. I'm simply giving the shop a whole bunch more data so we can essentially bypass GDPR with it as well. So you're shrinking the amount of data that you have to send across the pipe because you're not sending full video. Yes. You're moving the process to the edge and you're obfuscating any of that personal identifiable yeah. information. But then you could also, ostensibly, that's like a, you could run a distributed neural network where you're running a couple of nodes yeah, yeah, at yeah. the edge, and then you're bringing the rest of that data back to continue to run in a data center Precisely. somewhere. And, and, but the most important thing is we're, we're giving a insight into a shopping experience, an insight into a bunch of people who, to be quite frank, you would have otherwise never got. And you know you can re-optimize the, sh- the short the shop layout. You can help the shop assistants to be more effective in their conversations and say, "Oh, you know what? You might not like that jacket, but I tell you what, you know, we've had ten people who have come in and really like this jacket, and they didn't, you know, or they didn't buy it, or you know, you you can help to look out. It just it's about being more data driven, absolutely, in every single way and and every single part of your life. So so yeah, that that's a really interesting use case that we've been developing now with um with a few different other providers. That's very cool because I see that. I mean, IoT, AI, machine learning, all of this at the ed- like at the edge, right? It's these are these are buzzy words. So I want to want to pick your brain on what other buzzy things should we be like watching right now? Because we're gonna we're gonna come back in a year. We're gonna we're gonna see some things happen. You're you're five years out. Probably is gonna happen in the next two years. Yep. So what are the what are the big macro trends in technology that you're watching right now that are you know maybe not here today but that we're going to see emerge in the next couple of years? Okay, so I think um, one of the spaces we've seen a lot of people talking about is AR. Mm-hmm. Um, I think AR is going to be a, a big one, not necessarily fully automated AR, as I think everyone was expecting. You don't think we're going to have Ready Player One like happening here? I would. So well. Right, let me digress slightly. I did something last night that was the closest to a holodeck I have ever experienced in all my life. So there is an experience in Disneyland somewhere. Disney Springs? Yes. The Void? Yes. The Star Trek thing? Yes. Uh-huh. Or Sorry, Star, Star Wars, Wars. Star Wars. Wars, yep. Is that awesome? Oh my God. I know. That was mind-blowing. <laughs> we did it We did it twice last time we were here. I've done it once since I've been here this week. <laughs> it's just it's insane it's incredible and it literally is as close in my in my opinion it's as close to a holodeck on the start on star star wars as it's ever going to get absolutely well right now that is possibly the single best use case i've ever had for vr brilliant it's not just visual though it's smell yeah and smell heat yeah the pack on your body was sort of haptic response oh it was absolutely fantastic but so but the reality is vr for me today is still a bit gimmicky that's a, is. that is wicked that's, that's wicked cool but it's yeah, ar is not quite there though ar is not there but here's the thing so we're working with a couple of providers um of smart helmets okay. now i don't really think there's going to be a day when we're going to see smart helmets that literally guide you how to do things i mean maybe there will be in the future but i really don't think that that's the future what i think though is if you've got a worker a remote worker you know, so imagine if you've got someone on an oil rig or someone, you could have one person, one specialist in that particular piece of equipment mm-hmm. 
sitting back in an office and then someone who was a much cheaper individual yeah. sitting in um being on the Aurig yeah. with the AR helmet on. And literally the the really expensive individual could sit there and guide through essentially instructions on the screen. Right. And in real time using sort of, you know, this is what I need you to turn. Yeah. Not that, but literally overlaying on top of that person, this is the valve you need to turn. You need to turn it this much. And literally as you turn it, you know, it stop it tells you exactly how far you've got to turn it. And then as soon as that work has finished, you know, the the really expensive engineer is then dialed into a AR helmet on another or rig and another mm-hmm. and and I see it as a way to essentially enable low skilled workers to do super high skilled things but with the support in the back end of a human being so ar i think that there's some genuine future there um i think um if we switch up from what do i see for good and move on to what do i see for evil (laughs) okay um i think we're going to start to see a rise so obviously we've seen some pretty horrible viruses securities Mm -hmm. you know we've seen a lot of crypto crypto locker and what crazy stuff happened over the last 12 months i think the next big thing is going to be um offensive ai so the one that's already self-replicating itself and not well, no, no, so, so i guarantee that there is ai malware sort of botnets out there today that are using ai in a in an offensive way mm. so the reality is okay ai so ai we all talk about how ai, how AI is being used for good Mm-hmm. But the reality is, why won't you just turn it on its head? And instead of using AI to protect you as a user, use it to learn you and then fool the systems that are essentially trying to, you know, figure you out. Absolutely. Or to all the adaptive authentication uh, exactly. and all the things that we have in place. The reality you is, you could use like a, um, uh, a self learning AI network. Mm-hmm. What are they called? Yeah. They're. Um, Anyway, you could basically use one of these, these AI networks that essentially adversarial neural networks. Yeah. You could use an adversarial neural network to essentially fight you or essentially learn. You could do it in an unsupervised way so it could just get there and literally it's sort of its prize in an unsupervised, unsupervised world could be, you know, privileged, authentic, or privileged escalation and it could literally just sit there and in 24 hours figure out all your passwords, figure out how to move around your system, how to, you know, move past even some of the most advanced um, platforms today. You know, we use this sort of network baselining AI today to try and sort of understand when things that are not normal are happening. Well, this AI would just learn what's normal. Absolutely. And then work operate inside, within. <laughs> operate within those, those, those things. So that's, that's really terrifying. But yet you said there's no fear of AI earlier. That sounds pretty. Oh, uh, there's no, there's beautiful. no fear of the super intelligence or the singularity. Uh, okay, there's there is a lot of there. There will be a lot of bad actors using AI to 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 make even more sort of vicious and nasty um, stuff. I mean, and then obviously, if you're talking about vicious and nasty stuff, we can then obviously move on to things like the you know the Google conversation bot that booked a hair appointment for someone recently and phoned up and why you know that's essentially sort of the the scam artist's gold because oh, you haven't got to have human beings you know in in some foreign country in some massive sort of dodgy call center you know banging the phones you have a couple of servers on amazon and they literally just do all this for you and dial up and you know do the ask the know, questions natural that are conversation breaches, yeah. and the and the you know the pauses in conversation and everything else so that's that's pretty terrifying actually one i saw recently that was 
a much lower tech version of, of messing with AI is um, for autonomous cars, how people are doing things like uh, camouflage on stop signs and speed limit signs where mild changes like a piece of black tape in the wrong place can cause the AI in a car to completely miss a stop sign. And we're going to see, I, mean, I think there's going to be some, that, that low tech attack on these That's systems that are completely really, automated. Yeah. And, and actually you're absolutely right. And you know, I think we can see that we'll see that in a lot of the face visual recognition type mm -hmm. stuff in a lot of the sort of automatic systems that go around counting and, and sort of understanding the world around us, you know, vision. So I must admit, we, we've had a big um, investigation recently. So obviously, in iot being a classic example of something that's sort of on the up and up at the moment you know that's been using sensors it's been using you know deploying bits of technology all around but for anything where you're looking for like a physical context as in a movement or a vision technologies have come along so much recently and actually you're tapping into an existing iot network you've it's got today which is cctv there. right mm -hmm. so all you've got to do is essentially tap the feed and send it off to you know your your ai and you could use like yolo which is the you only look once um algorithm to, to do complete classification uh, so iot is going to be an interesting one yep. moving into real visual recognition but then as you say if you can if you can bust it then <laughs> it's a nightmare as well absolutely so uh so yeah we're it's a lot of cool stuff coming down the line a lot of cool stuff coming down the line and obviously um for me i think as we're now at a point where you know cpu has become so miniaturized yeah. we've got you know they fundamentally don't work anymore because they're so small that the electrons that they're trying to route around the transistors just go straight through them <laughs> so you know are we going to see more investment and more time into the keyword or uh, quantum computing yeah. and maybe that'll become something we see next year you know ibm have released q series so that's their own commercial sort of quantum computing range so who knows that might be something we see next year as well it's gonna be fun to watch We've learned a lot from our guests about big data, but now it's time to get a bit personal. In a segment we like to call Rapid Fire. Pew, pew. Go back and we'll try these rapid fire questions again, see if okay. anything's changed. So uh, what year do you think Skynet will go online? All right, so I'm going to go with 2025. 2025. All right. What is the last great book that you've read? Um, I have just finished reading The Subtle Art of Not Giving a... <clears throat> yes. That is a great book. It is quite, quite really intriguing. Really good book. Yeah. What genre of music are you rocking these days? Uh, I'm, still, I'm still a bit of a sad sort of garage and dance man. So Sorry. what can I say? It's, it's not as melancholy as you make it sound. No. <laughs> <laughs> what piece of technology is currently making your life worse? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I would... Do you know what? I, I must admit, I, I think I've made some good selections recently in technology. Um, I've put a lot of smart home stuff into my house recently, and not one of it, not one bit of it, is actually causing me an issue. So that's good. I'm going to go as far as to say I'm I'm pretty happy at the moment. That's, that's a good a, question, and I will come up with a better answer next time. That's I'm jealous. My smart home is completely broken right now. So <laughs> uh, I've kept Nothing it works. very simple, and I've got a bunch of bunch of girls I live with, as in my daughters and and my my <laughs> other half, and. Um, they're really getting on with it. Are they? Okay. Yeah, so I'm That's happy. Fun. I'm happy. They haven't started. Your, your daughters haven't used uh, Alexa to make unintended purchases yet. No, no, no. Okay. no. So I've, I've locked her down. <laughs> a lot of if and that rather than using the native command. So yeah, Absolutely. we're in a good place. Very good. So what is your current personal money pit right now? Um, ooh, 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 ooh. Um, 
I'd say probably I've just bought a brand new house. Oh, have you? Okay. Yeah, I literally exchanged that last week. <laughs> and solicitor's costs and everything else is killing it me. Is but incredible. yeah, that's probably it. Are you going anywhere interesting soon? So yes, actually next week I'm off to, appreciate this may date, date our conversation, but I'm actually off to um, Munich mm-hmm. to go to the NVIDIA GPU technology conference. Very cool. So that'll be good. That's good. And then if you're going to be traveling back and forth over the, the big oceans, you're watching any, you're binging any TV shows right now? Ah, so I've just um, just finished uh, Last Man on Earth, which I really enjoyed. What was it called? Last Man on Earth. It's oh, on Last Man on Earth. Okay. That was Very really cool. funny comedy. All right. And so, David, where do we find you on social if we're going to keep up with all your so, uh, your activities? At David Fern on Twitter. Yeah. Um, to be honest, I'm not on Facebook, and that's a conversation for another day. A question. Do you think kids in like college-age kids are using Facebook today? No, no, no. I, so, so I got a 13-year-old daughter. Uh-huh. And she has no, f- I mean, don't get me wrong, she's not too early for Facebook anyway, but she has no interest, none of her friends on it. Their Snapchat, yeah. their Instagram, and then there's sort of the flavor of the month. Yeah. So it was Musical.ly, um, it's, it's all sorts. I mean, honestly, the, the evolution of social platforms in sort of that 13, sort of 16, yeah, yeah. ridiculous. Facebook is for like her mum and I. Yeah. It's not for her <laughs> at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My parents are on Facebook, not me. That's yeah, kind of well, I mean, I'm not on Facebook because I don't really believe in a lot of the things they way they use data and everything else. Yeah. But as I said, conversation for another day. That 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 really is a can of worms that I don't think we've got time for now. <laughs> for for <laughs> your third time on the show. Yeah. Which, yeah. By the I'll way, for the third time, you get a members only jacket for being <laughs> on the show three times. So I sent him one back. That. I'll hold right. that, and uh, I'll hold him to pay for it. <laughs> awesome. Well, David, thanks so much for being on. No, with us. you are gone. honestly, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Keep up the good work, guys. Thanks for listening to the Big Data Beard Podcast. It would also be pretty cool if you reviewed us in your favorite podcast app. It really does help. Thanks for listening.